0: Welcome to The Change Jar. I am Sariq Hussein, joined by Ashley Tate, and we're inviting you to have conversations with us. Where through a series of interviews and storytelling, we aim to create agency, inspire future generations, and empower black, indigenous people of color to be change makers.
1: Good, how are you doing? Pretty good.
0: Ranji, thank you for taking the time. Yeah. I know you're, you've, been, you've been busy, but we really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and having this conversation with us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I am a high school teacher. I've been teaching for about seven years. This might be my seventh or eighth year. I can't remember, it kind of blurs together at some point. I mostly do English, but I also have sections of research and I've also done a year of Latin, which fizzled out not because it was a Latin, job because i loved that it was because it was in middle school which i did not love so
0: so we just wanted to to ask the first question of you know how are you doing as a woman of color within the professional spaces uh, that you occupy
2: i i think it's very important to be a teacher of color um, in a space especially when you're teaching students of color Um, and because you know education is predominantly female that you know that's really important because otherwise you're only going to get certain perspectives. And although I think white educators do try to connect with their students, there's many who succeed really well. I think it's just a different experience being around someone of your background who kind of can connect on the same level as you culturally. So I feel like my workspace, there are pockets of diversity but I obviously wish it could be a little more reflective of our student body, which in my case would be more Hispanic educators, more black educators. I was one of two Southeast Asian or South Asian uh, educators uh, now I'm down to one. I think I'm the representative. I'm the token. So that can be a little isolating in some ways because, you know, I don't really have someone I can directly share my experience with. I have to do a lot of translating of cultural background stuff. I'm as one of the few, if not the only like vegetarian on campus. So that's always a point of translation because I have to be like, no, I, I can't. I can't eat pepperoni pizza. <laughs> that came from a pig. The pig had to die. <laughs> I can't do it. So it's little things like that. I do feel, though, that I am um, accepted. I feel, uh, I don't feel singled out in any way. Um, I feel like people generally want to, like, get to know me, get to know my background. Uh, People are not really, like, you know, stereotypical like that. So it's kind of this limbo state veering towards the positive that I wish we were slightly more, like, you know, I didn't have to be the Indian on campus to, like, represent what that was all about.
0: Yeah. And it's almost like that difference is exasperated in, in that setting because you are yeah. the only one. And it's funny about the vegetarian thing, you know, I, I, I remember getting the responses of, oh, you can just pick it off, pick right? It off, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing.
1: So you mentioned these pockets of diversity mm-hmm. and I can see that come up as you being the token Indian woman where you work at, and then also being the token vegetarian. What are some of those other areas of what pockets of diversity look like within the place that you're working at?
2: So that that would be the cultural ethnic diversity. Um, I think there's also experiences of, well, politically, obviously, there's gonna be pockets, you know, that are more liberal, pockets that are more conservative. Beyond that, um, I think those are kind of the two big groupings of people, I think. And at least within departments, like we try to have a little more like, you know, connection, communication, but I feel like there's definitely people um, where I work on campus who I don't know them don't talk to them, don't know how to talk to them, um, and vice versa, I would say.
1: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about double standards. Okay. If you've had any, what have been some moments that have just like really been seared into your brain or have stood out to you? Either something you've personally experienced with your current employer, previous employer, something you've seen. I do
2: feel sometimes, um, especially when talking to my students, like I'm trying to represent to them how to speak to women Um, how to speak to them as equals, how to, you know, perceive what women go through through an equal lens rather than just, you know, women are complaining, women are this, women are that. So I try to like open that window up a little bit. I do a unit, just gender and the way it's perceived um, in the spring, uh, just to talk about, you know, stereotypes about, you know, women as well as men. So we do a piece called, um, I just forgot the name of it. I needed it. I just forgot it. It's by Scott Russell Sanders. And he talks about the, the men he grew up around who were forced to be physical, forced to work in these like heavy industries like coal, and they w- their bodies were just waste away. And that was what was expected of them, that men threw their bodies away in service of something. And then women were able to be, you know, educated and protected and whatever. And he kind of looks at both sides of that lens. So I try to show them, you know, I'm not just like some raging feminist. <laughs> just, you know, I very much believe showing people where there is room for justice and equality, no matter where they are. I think that because education is so female dominated, I don't feel singled out in that respect. And I do feel, you know, kids grow up at least seeing these female role models and being willing to, you know, respect them or at least see them as sort of, you know, people to look up to, people who care about them are going to comfort them or they can talk to. So I do feel a little, you know, better off in that sense than women in other careers, especially high powered ones might feel. I think where I mostly direct my focus is just making sure that my female students are advocated for and that they don't feel like they are like carrying these burdens very early of, you know, sexualization or um, double standards by administration. So we have um, a kind of relaxed dress code policy now that says if you have holes in your jeans that are higher than three inches above the knee, then it's not good for anybody. But we always know about like skirt lengths and, you know, spaghetti straps and that kind of thing and the way they kind of skew anti-female versus, you know, for male uh, students. So I kind of look out for stuff like that and try to take their side when I can with <laughs> stuff like that. Um, other than that, it's just, it's mostly just how school policies translate for female students versus male students. And also I would include in there trans students and, you know, students who aren't, you know, on gender binary. How do you advocate for them and make sure they are comfortable in this environment? And I feel like I'm better suited to do that as a, as a woman because I can sort of, I I know what part of that feels like. So those are some of the things that we kind of deal with on the the school level.
1: I honestly love and admire how much you've really taken on providing that sense of representation. Like one of the first things you led was like, I know that I identify as X, Y, and Z, and I know that there Mm -hmm. is an a niche population or a niche uh, instructors who are able to provide that. So the fact that you are not only aware of the representation that you're able to uphold and provide for some students, so then you do, it sounds like you're doing quite a lot outside of what maybe asked from me.
2: And honestly, like I did not walk out the doors of college like knowing this. This is something that, you know, you encounter students from a population, you're like, oh shoot, you know, they need to feel comfortable too. How do I do that? So every year it's been like an additional, you know, how do I cater to that student, this student, whatever.
1: I think it's phenomenal. I'm very impressed, honestly. Like, growing <laughs> up, you know, going to school in Texas, going to Catholic school, I'm just like, man, where was this stuff when I was growing up, you know? Because everything was, just as you said, like, it was so female-centered in how mm-hmm. you represented yourself, how you dressed, how you showed up every day. And then it's just like, yeah, sure, no, boys can wear whatever the hell they want. Um, yeah. As long as it was within certain guidelines, but it didn't boys seem as regular.
2: on our campus. What was that? Boys can have earrings on our campus.
1: I'll be done.
0: <laughs> um, they can only have
2: one per year, but that's an improvement on zero per year. So
1: we're, we're, we're coming around. Yeah, we're coming around.
0: No, that's great. Ranjani, I know you meant the Scott Russell Sanders. Is it looking at women or is it uh, no. the men we carry in our minds? The men we
2: carry in our minds. That's the one. Yes. <laughs> you know my curriculum better than I do.
0: No, I was looking it up. I've, I've heard his name before and I was like, you know what? I've heard yeah. it again. Let me check it out. I know you mentioned, you know, you've, you're in a, in a female-dominated workspace, um, and, and particularly industry. Do you, in the, in the times that you do have to, and you mentioned having to struggle with it and trying to figure out, you know, if you're doing it correctly, um, but do you feel comfortable talking about gender inequalities in the workplace?
2: I mean, the unit that I do focuses on stereotypes of female leadership. So the fact that we have so few models of what effective female leadership looks like that the outliers, like the, you know, Margaret Thatchers of the world kind of come to represent what female leadership looks like politically. So I talk about that. I try not to get, you know, too fixated on one individual person. I'm just like, this is, you know, the spectrum we have to deal with. And we have to talk about what would a female leader look like in these contexts? We talk about the pay gap, which... I wanted to bring up because I keep hearing that stat and I wanted to explore to myself, you know, what is the pay gap? What does it mean? And I know I've had conservative students in the past who are like, no, it's not a real thing, miss, um, or whatever. So I have to try to find counter arguments or evidence and everything I do, I try to find like as much data as I can, as much current data as I can to talk about some of those trends. And every year I also try to read like a couple books that like inform that. So one of the ones I read last year was uh, Invisible Women by uh, Carolyn Criado Perez which talks about all the data points where we don't have data for women because they weren't studied. So either, you know, we're worried that women might be pregnant and we don't, you know, interfere with the pregnancy or we design everything around like the standard 180 pounds, six foot, like white male. So when women have things like breasts or whatever, like you can't make a seat belt that fits that because you don't know. And so women get into more car wrecks and have, you know, worse consequences from accidents because we don't think about them when we design stuff or that women have different heart attack symptoms or whatever. So I try to look at stuff like that. Other than that, for the gender equality thing, we looked at it also in the terms of the justice system. So we read around the time the Scarlet Letter, so we look at, you know, what are the double standards of how Hester is treated versus her baby daddy, who, you know, gets away scot-free, nothing really happens to him. His only punishment is self-flagellation throughout the whole book. And then we talk about in criminal justice. So there's a part that I'm trying to expand for this year that I included for last year, but it's about how when we look at women behind bars, what are the circumstances like for them, especially like things like pregnancy behind bars. So that is my kind of thing. I'm, my pet project, I'm kind of expanding on the whole unit, <laughs> one to the other.
0: And it seems like, you know, in, while also juggling colleagues, right, so trying to figure out, like, what, like, working with colleagues, and then you have students in such formative years, right, so they're in their junior year, and there's still so much influence from, you know, the household, Then individual's trying to develop their own thoughts and figure out, you know, what what are their beliefs and how are they going to present to the world going forward as they move into senior year and college? Can you dive a little bit deeper into what that dynamic is like? Do you, how do you deal with that? Do you experience a lot of parental pushback or you know how have you been able to feel empowered to to really get this yeah. message
2: so i try not to push anything that's obviously you know partisan in any way although you know obviously some of the topics i'm talking about criminal justice reform whatever are going to be slanted more liberal i try not to tell them you know this is the way it is i'm just like this is what the data shows you this is you know the current data this is the current research on the topic, and you know, these are conversations that we need to be having. So if you're going to be out there debating, I want you to be in full possession of the data so you can actually make a logical point. So we try to focus more on, you know, what arguments could you make with this data set? What do you think should be a so good solution? So some scholars propose this, 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 do you think that will work? How do you feel about this? You know, I just want them to be kind of armed with facts going forward, because I feel like at least uh, for many of the adults that i know facts are kind of in short supply and people don't know how to find them don't know how to weigh them don't know how to you know balance them together and see what kind of narrative actually fits all of them versus you know skewing the narrative to fit the one fact they want to cherry pick out so that's just something i want them to think about it's just how can you read more critically how can you go find more information if you need it and i hope i'm modeling that through my own practices I, I don't expect anyone to sit here reading like you know. 15 nonfiction books. Not, we can't all be Sarik, <laughs> but at least they can go, you know, find articles, find good, reliable sources of, you know, nonpartisan data and you know figure out what what's actually happening in the world they live in. Any parent pushback on specific things, it's mostly about student responses to things and you know why this was accepted, why this wasn't accepted. My response is always, you know, did they defend their argument, you know, fully? Did they Could they have added some more stuff? Is it up to the standard we wanted? Was there something they could have cited that they didn't cite? So it's all based in the rubric or whatever that we give them, rather than me being like, I reject this premise. And even with my conservative kids, I do try to, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, I see you're making this argument. Does that seem like it is fact-based or does that seem like it's more emotion-based the way you're presenting it? Could you bring in more facts to kind of do this the way you want to? So... It's a balancing It's like every couple of years that I have to deal with that. We seem to be in kind of a doldrum right now, which is good. I need that this year, especially. I don't want to be fighting with kids this year.
1: Gives <laughs> you some some breathing room. Yeah. So as you're working so closely with your students to tackle a lot of these really like difficult issues, even for adults, like, what's the impact you've seen? What is the response that you've seen from your actual students?
2: There have been a couple. I think... One of my favorite things to do is that gender unit, because so many of my boys, they don't even think about, they, I mean, they idolize women and they respect certain women, but there's one assignment that we do called City of Women, where you take this, it's a, it's based on a Rebecca Solnit essay. She takes the map of the New York subway and renames every single stop after a woman who lived or worked in that neighborhood. So we do the same thing with Houston. So rename the streets and rename the buildings after women that are important in your life. I know, right? I love it. And I play like women's soundtracks while we're doing that. So like, but I, I like doing that because I'm like, how many times could you sit down and name 30 to 35 women who are, you know, significant in the world? How can you actually do that? And so I think I gets some thinking about where women have been, in many cases, hidden figures kind of in the background, where should women be kind of raised up or uplifted to the level of men? So I like that one because if nothing else, I feel like for some of my boys that does hit a note and, you know, they are kind of proud of it. They put a lot of their like grandma- grandmothers and their mothers on their... So that's kind of nice for me. And, and uh, like, sometimes they surprise me. There's kids who run very far left of where I am and they're putting down like these like socialist heroes or like, uh, who are like running around the, like the Pacific West Coast or whatever. And I'm like, oh damn, I wish I was that ballsy. I'm, I'm over here being like Malala.
1: <laughs> so that's always fun. I'm like, oh okay, you know more than I do. That is so impactful and inspiring to be able to give them the autonomy to do that on their own mm-hmm. and to kind of pick and choose who they, want to represent the streets that they've grown up on and the streets that they've passed by the streets that they've gotten their groceries from and associate that with a with someone who they view as a powerful woman Mm
2: -hmm. that's why it's one of my favorite things like i don't know sometimes i just get ideas and they actually work a lot of times I get ideas and they don't actually work so when they actually do i'm like yes (laughs) so that's what i've been able to keep i love
1: it i love it i love it so good so what role do your colleagues, what role does anyone else currently uh, within either the school that you're working within Mm. or the school district that you're in, then what work are they doing right now to talk about gender inequality?
2: I think it's one of those back burner things, especially now, since we're talking about, you know, protests and police brutality and justice, we have been very race focused, which I think is also important. I think it's, you know, getting kids at these like fundamental conversations about their experiences. We haven't quite translated that to gender yet as a district or as a campus. We do try to feature like works by women or that feature women like female characters. We try to get our boys to read texts based on female characters. Right now we're reading A Raisin in the Sun in my all-level classes. Yes. And so yeah, you have a Black gay woman and you have these female-centered characters in the play that you have to sort of identify with and sympathize with. But yeah, it hasn't really been as much of a gender focus yet. It's been more of an overall race or inequality kind of focus. And hopefully it will eventually get down to the gender level, I think.
1: I think it's a fair observation and a fair assessment to make that we are able to talk to your students right now based on one, what their interests are at times, mm-hmm. but also what's happening socially. And mm-hmm. you want it to be relevant. You want it to be something that's going to impact them and something that hopefully they'll be able to have an impact on as well but I think something as simple as reading literature that's not written by white men, (laughs) it's (laughs) such a simple place to start. Even myself and my boyfriend more recently were like, oh my God, so many of the books that we've read are written by white men or white Mm -hmm. women. Now going out of our way to find authors of color, to find authors with so many different diverse perspectives, more than just the color of their skin and how beautiful literature can be, how amazing and rich the different experiences that are told and the different stories that are being told and mm-hmm. how they're being felt and lived through those different characters, just how different it looks across the spectrum when you kind of deviate from, <laughs> from the standard literature yeah. that you've been handed most of the time, you know?
2: And I'm mildly hypocrite about this because yes, we do raise in the sun, but I also have my three cortex and AP are still the Crucible*, the Scarlet Letter, and at points, the Great Gatsby. So I'm looking to see if I could switch any of those out. The Crucible works really well because of what it's connected to. Letter I've modified into the sort of more criminal justice unit, so that works. You have the old context and the gender focus, then you have the new stuff. Gatsby, I- so the way I've used it when we've gotten to this unit, because in a year that's cut short like this, I have to scrap a bunch of things for the end. I was like, screw this! That's out. Um, I've tried to do this unit on a racial passing sort of. So the fact that Gatsby is a character who comes from the Midwest and has to kind of morph and change himself to fit into this like other society. I'm like, where else does that kind of happen? It's like a unit that's 50% work for me because it's not quite f- fleshed out yet, but I'm hoping that it might eventually be something kind of cool. Like how do you have to kind of morph yourself to fit into the vision that other people expect of you? And maybe we can connect that to race as well as gender.
1: That would be kind of cool. You know how deep those conversations can get, especially with younger kids about trying to fit into certain molds and boxes? Especially since I have so many kids who are, you know, mixed
2: race or something. I had a girl who just wrote a paper about colorism and is how she was, um, she's Hispanic, but she's also half uh, Caribbean, uh, Haitian slash Nigerian. And so she was like, I don't fit in any one box. And I've always been told I have to fit in just one, but how can I? And I was like, that's most of my kids' experiences. It's just trying to fit into a box that doesn't fit them.
0: <laughs> you know, it's, it's really interesting um, and I'm trying to think back to my time in high school, my time in school, and what that experience was like mm-hmm. and the things that I'm hearing that you're describing, I'm hearing things that, that you are doing, you know, and, and, and finding ways to engage and to set this, this foundation for your students to think and to, you know, to have conversations and, and use data and then having a school district that is, you know, I'm assuming is supporting that as well has that been your experience as, you know, as a teacher for, for, your, for your entire time? Or how have you seen those things kind of change or progress? If you can speak on like, yeah. what is it like for those other teachers that aren't in those school districts that are supportive, and they're trying to do this stuff kind of solo?
2: Um, so I definitely have to kind of toe around the official district, you know, sanctions of what I can say and can't say. But I have felt for the most part because everything I've been doing has been connected back to a specific task or goal, it's not just me lecturing for the, for the hell of it, you know. Um, I do feel like I have been supported. Within my district, I feel like that's generally the thing, is as long as it is linked to an academic focus that is not just standard making the kids repeat something just because you said it, um, I think it is tolerated. I don't know if outside of Houston, in more rural areas, or even in more, like, conservative districts, like Dallas, Fort Worth, that kind of area comes to mind because that's where I've heard a lot of stories. I don't know if that would go the same way. I'd also have a different population though. I wouldn't have a population that's more than 50% minority students. Um, So it might go over differently if I'm dealing with mostly white students. I may have to kind of modify some of the stuff I'm talking about. I would hope I wouldn't because I think it's important for everybody, but that's the reality. It's just a different audience would require a different sort of curriculum.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for sharing on that. So, you know, as we we talk a little bit more um, on, the, on the gender and, and gender inequalities. I'm, I'm hearing things that, that you're doing and, you know, again, I'm sure is that is that typically the approach that, that educators and teachers take or do you feel that you are, you know, putting in extra to make sure that you're getting this information to your students, getting it to them in a nonpartisan way uh, with all of the information mm-hmm. and tools, you know, that they can they can access to, to learn?
2: I don't want to say that I'm unique. I also don't know what other teachers do because you know there, there are things that we work on together but for most of the time we are kind of on our own doing our things for our own populations so i don't want to say i'm unique by any search of imagination i do think that i'm particularly more like uh, neurotic about i need to get this exact data where did this statistic come from or whatever um so i think that's just me i was like i need to read this book on this subject before i can make this 10 slide presentation on this basic thing um so that's just me but i think that they're all doing something on the same lines in a similar way. I don't think that, I think that most of our teachers are doing stuff based on data, based on, you know, finding good solid sources based on finding diverse perspectives. I think that's kind of universal that we're trying to do that.
1: Let's imagine in an ideal scenario where your local school district is in the place to kind of take on the task of addressing and talking about gender inequality. What are some of the steps that you would like to see them take or what direction would you like to see them kind of like band together and take Mm -hmm. that
2: in something we've talked about especially for racial equity has been a student forum or student conversation we justice circles i think is what we call them something like that where students actually get to share their experiences because i think we feel something maybe different as faculty versus what they see on the ground every day as students i would especially want you know my girls my gay students or whoever to kind of speak out about that because they would know more than I do and there's things that they go through and they can't share or don't share with other people so I definitely want them to kind of speak out and have the the space to do that. On a faculty level I I don't I I mean if teachers obviously have stories or or things that they need to, to talk about I would want them to feel welcome doing that but I feel like our role is mostly to be facilitators maybe of those conversations to help kids feel comfortable sharing those things and then coming to solutions and guiding them towards things that are more productive than just, you know, stating their feelings, stating their emotions, trying to get to something concrete that we can do to fix things on the ground. And I I, I can't say what the issues are specifically unless they speak out about them. I don't know the full, you know, extent of what people go through. I can kind of guess at some of the things that especially girls might go through or even guys in this case, but I, I can't specifically voice any of those without them saying them first.
0: Looking at, you know, just kind of how your, your students are making their way through the education system, they're, they're reaching you at, at the junior year, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that are happening in those, you know, those other years? Do you, do you feel like there's more that can be take, be taken place in those formative years as well? Or is it, you know, do they feel like this is the first time they're being exposed to something like this? Or so Do you feel like it's a, a pretty good balance of increasingly getting exposure to it as they, they reach your, your grade?
2: I think they're getting exposure throughout I I don't, like I'm saying, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm doing anything special. I'm just doing it more in depth, maybe. And the fact is, like, at 11th grade, they can handle it in a way that they couldn't at 8th grade or 6th grade or whatever. I don't think I could have a conversation about criminal justice at this level at 6th grade. I could still talk about it, but it would be a different conversation. So I think that throughout, they are getting exposed to different viewpoints. I don't know if there's a specific gender focus, but I know that they're reading books, you know, that feature prominent female protagonists, that there's definitely more media to consume that has, you know, prominent female protagonists in it. So much of young adult literature now is mostly like, <laughs> pejoratively, I refer to them all as like Hunger Games knockoffs, like it's the same book, but like in a world where whatever, and it's like, you know, Lib like insert some different dystopian thing in there. So they all kind of read and, you know, process those books. And a lot of them have female leads. Some of them even have like same sex relationships in them. So like, through those different developmental stages eventually they'll reach me and they'll be ready to have other conversations about it for the most part though like the reason i can do what i do is because the kids get to me and they have background knowledge on stuff they've lived things they've paid like a lot of attention to media and especially pop culture and they can talk about these things and we can have the in-depth conversations i'm not talking to like a wall i'm talking to someone who has you know things they can bring to the table so i'm kind of fortunate in that that respect that I have older kids
1: and we can have, you know, heavier conversations. First of all, girl, you are special. You are a snowflake. You are unique. Do <laughs> not say that you're not special. Or you're not doing anything unique because all of the things that you've said, even just you saying like, you're not doing anything different, just maybe the intensity behind it or the frequency that in itself makes it different. So don't discredit yourself with that. That is truly unique and special. And with that perspective and being in the position of being able to have these conversations and bringing this curriculum to your students and understanding that there are other teachers in your position, that there are other school staff and personnel who may not be able to have the flexibility or do everything that you do, whether it's because they're not able to due to certain limitations, they don't have the comfort to talk about these topics Mm -hmm. or maybe the support to talk about these topics. If you have any words of advice for anyone else who could be in a similar situation, in a similar position that you're in, who need that extra little, like, you know, behind them, what would that be?
2: For me, I've just kind of done it. You know, it's kind of a, you know, ask for forgiveness rather than permission kind of thing. But when I do it, I try to make sure that it is as neutral as I can do it. And it's not going to ruffle feathers. That's not to say that it isn't powerful and, you know, hard hitting, maybe challenging norms but it's not going to be something that's directly targeting people or blaming people or whatever. Like, I'm not like, oh, white man or whatever. I do kind of make fun of it. I'm like, oh, get another white male author. Here we come. But I don't try to make groups feel uncomfortable because I know that some of those students might be out there and I don't want them to feel like they're bearing the burden of all this. They're just kids. They weren't, you know, they didn't do this. So there is that. So just making things as like level as you can. I try to also bring in different perspectives. So these could be essays, it could be poems, it could be videos, just to kind of reinforce the multiple different ways we can kind of see the issue. I also like the sort of like thematic approach. I like, you know, saying, let's talk about gender, but let's talk about all these different permutations of gender. So then I'm not pushing one narrative or one idea, I'm getting them to kind of, you know, see how these things interact with each other. Just getting them to be aware of like the ways in which our experiences are not all the same because we're not all the same. We come from different places. And I hope me being there as like a, you know, South Asian woman. So that way, as they kind of move through the world, they can see, oh, well, your experience with that is going to be colored differently because of Mm -hmm. your gender. It's going to be different because of your like background, your uh, ethnicity or whatever is maybe a gateway to that. Because I can speak to some of those experiences. I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of in this like middle stage. So I can kind of, you know, hold the door open for them a little bit to see if they get to the other side.
0: Yeah, you know, Ranjani, you mentioned, you know, specifically in in your school district, you know, having two, you know, South Asian women now going down Mm -hmm. to one being yourself. What are some of the steps or what are some of the things that you would like to see your workplace do to kind of add a little bit more representation so you can have those Mm -hmm. diverse perspectives and have those teachers in there that are providing the same types of of experiences and reflections with, with their students?
2: I think it has to come down to recruitment, just going out to places and seeking candidates of color, or maybe giving them maybe more of an opportunity than, you know, another teacher. I ultimately should come down to the quality of the teacher, right? So I'm not saying just pick someone because the color of the skin, but in order to create diversity, you have to intentionally create diversity. You have to create opportunities for people of diversity to come into the workplace. And I think the goal should be trying to create a faculty that looks like your students beyond that so like this past year or a couple years I've had it for a couple years I had a little girl from Bangladesh and there was no one else who I guess she felt more comfortable with than me because you know we're not from exactly the same part of the world or part country but she felt like she could have conversations about Bollywood with with me or like about you know feeling singled out because she was Muslim with me even though I'm not Muslim little things that she couldn't really talk about with other teachers because they wouldn't quite get that aspect of it. I think that's really important because kids are at schools, not just looking for an education and um, someone to teach them the material, but also someone to kind of follow. It was mostly just other teachers who were there who kind of filled that role. And I I don't know how my experience might've been different if I had had women of color there.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And you know, when it comes to the the experiences of women, of women of, of color, when it comes to the individuals in those positions of power, who have the ability, you know, you talk about recruiting, you talk about um, maybe a superintendent or a principal Mm -hmm. um, who kind of have that, that ability to make those changes or to, or to call for those types of changes. What has been your, your experience or your interaction with, you know, speaking up on those, those issues or, you know, calling for these different things with those individuals?
2: I've been trying to think about ways I can, you know, contribute to my school community beyond just being an educator. I do feel like this saps up a lot of my time, but I also feel like I have this drive to want to do something else. And I don't think it would hurt to go talk to the school board and say, hey, you know, we should be pushing for this whenever we can from that background as a person who does not fit in with anything in this, you know, more rural, white, conservative kind of area that they grew up in. So yeah, I I think that's my push. I need to start doing a little bit more about speaking out a little bit because I do feel this
1: very strongly.
0: I know Ashley asked about what your, your word of advice is for other women mm-hmm. in the workplace who may be experiencing, you know, the inability or, or you know, the, the, the things that keep them from being able to do this with their students. What would you say your word of advice would be for your students going into, into the workplace, but going into these places where they may not experience that in the workplace?
2: So to the prior point about empowering women, I think that in our field, or just generally, female educators are, are expected to be more maternal, more comforting, more polite, more kind, more soft-spoken. And I do see this on the ground. I see that, you know, women educators are speaking up, are speaking out, they're outspoken. You know, they'll have banter with their students. They don't feel like they're kind of caged in. I, I hope that's the, the thing for everybody is to help them feel more comfortable and confident to have conversations, to, you know, talk about material that may be kind of challenging I can't argue with the facts and the logic. For students, this is a challenge because I'm prepping them for a world where they are going to be able to have equal conversations with, you know, data and logic and reason and whatever. And I'm going to prepare them for a world in which a lot of doors are still not going to open for them. So that's kind of rough. I think that as long as I'm teaching them to stand up for themselves, to find like-minded groups to kind of support them, to always have a support structure, to be able to back themselves up, and be persistent. I think that will help a little bit. I wish I could do more to help them, but I know the reality of, you know, some of these fields is that your best may not be enough. And you can earn respect on, you know, these terms on the basis of your intelligence or, you know, your hard work, your work ethic, because I know that, you know, that that's a frequent slander that we get is that oh, you're just here because you're female which again, I can't say in my workplace because almost everyone is female, pretty much. So like (laughs) as enthusiastic and inspired as I feel, I have to contend with reality sometimes and I'm really mad at reality a lot of the time. So um, I totally get that. I I don't want them to go into the world and feel cynical
1: the way some of us do. Well, Ranjani, we are coming to the end. Mm -hmm. So is there anything else that you want to share or talk about that either Sareek and I haven't brought up or if there's anything you want to ask us, please let us know. So I guess you only had two conversations about this so far, but what are some of the
2: things that you feel like you can take away from this? Just the two conversations that you've had about
1: gender, politics, and anything? I think what I've taken out of these conversations is reestablishing my sense of hope, because these conversations have always somehow had more than just nuggets but like have had like little craters of hope within them that helped me to reestablish my own hope that there are people still fighting the good fight we are the people still fighting the good fight I mean that there's so many more of us out there that are still marching that are still fighting that are still being vocal that are still being active I mean it helps to kind of pull me out of my own sunken place that I've yes, <laughs> found in yeah. this reality that we're living in. Very. <laughs> what about you?
0: Yeah, you know, I think for me, likewise, you know, without having those, those moments of hope, I think what's, you know, it's really also interesting to hear the stories, you know, hear what people are saying and the experiences on um, this particular series, just from this conversation alone that, you know, and, and things that Ashley has mentioned to me or, or, or you know, referenced me to, to read or to check out, to learn more and experience more of what women and what women of color are experiencing in the workplaces mm-hmm. or in the workplace and the spaces that they, they occupy and what role I have in you know speaking out against that and what role I have in maybe contributing to some of the things that women are experiencing. So a lot of it's you know wanting to have the space in, in here and here and 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 do that, but also for me to to learn and, and unlearn some of those things um, as well as I go through. And even in our previous series as well, I'm still a, a person of color um but my experiences have been you know s- still slightly different and you know, make sure that I'm also contributing to the good fight and having these conversations in a way and, and educating myself. And so those have been the things, things for me. And, and honestly, I'll, I'll share with you, like this was one, as we were going into, I shared with Ashley, I'm like, Ashley, I'm, I'm, I'm not really comfortable because I didn't know how I was gonna be able to, you know, to present, how I was gonna be able to ask, but that was me trying to resort to what my comfort level was. And by having them and, and taking that step, it forced me to say, no, you're gonna to have to learn and you're gonna have to have yeah. the conversation. You're gonna have to be able to, um, like you're doing with your students, find the data, find the, the research, do the research, and engage in the conversation and be okay with the uncomfortability, be okay with the things that, you know, maybe shatter your role, I guess, that you experience sometimes when you're having these tougher conversations. Um, so that's what it's, it's been like. Um, and I know it's gonna be like for me.
2: And I think also the, the just wanting to learn things out of curiosity and wanting to empathize with other people, I think that's so important that I never do any of this from a perspective of like wanting to criticize or damage or, you know, like malign some group. I'm doing it because I, I don't know what it's like to live anything other than my South Indian experience or like my female experience or, you know, I don't know certain levels of difficulty and I want to know what that's like. I want to know the history of groups that have suffered that and faced that. So it all comes from that, just wanting to find empathy and finding these connections that I don't have and you have to read and you have to talk to do that.
0: If there's anything or anyone that you want to shout out.
2: Recently has been my mom. She is super smart, super educated. She has been like independently calculating coronavirus data for fun. Um, she's like, I downloaded all this and I'm testing all like the stuff and like these different sites report these different things, but I think this is like the average or whatever. And I'm like, okay. Um she like is like this on politics right now she's keeping up with like 10 different news shows. I can't tell her anything about politics because she's already heard it from three different outlets and has all of the like background info on it. We actually went to a, a protest or a march for George Floyd in July. And it was her idea. She was like, I want to go. Where's your sign? Didn't make a sign. You need to make a sign. And then she told me to walk up to like the small kind of wall of police that were there and like, hold your sign closer, get closer. They can't see it. And I was like, mom, <laughs> just like the <laughs> the is on this woman, the ovaries on this woman. My God, that's kind of what I want to be. I want to be that kind of like fearless and like, I'm not going to take nonsense from people just because, you know, it's nicer to do that. Or it's like less uncomfortable to do that. I want to be a little bit more like her. And of course, I want to shout out like my other educators, because I think they're doing a lot of hard work right now. And they are trying to have these conversations, even though it may not be their own experience. They're still trying to talk about, you know, race and justice. And hopefully we'll get to gender, because I think that's something we can all kind of speak to in our personal experience.
1: One, your mom sounds phenomenal, too. I need her sources. I just appreciate you, Reggie. Thank you (laughs) so, so very much. This has been this has been amazing. It's been amazing.
2: So again, I was Ranjini. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And I hope the rest of your series is going to be great. I know it's going to be great because you guys are running it.
1: That's all we have for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. To hear more about this topic, visit our website where you can find all of our latest podcasts and more. Thanks for listening to The Change Star. where we're more than just a penny for your thoughts.